to Awakening Leadership Podcast, where we have conversations with leaders who are doing their part to make the world a better place today and for future generations. Awakening Leadership is about three vital areas of leadership development, self-awareness, social and cultural awareness, and ecological awareness. By awakening and developing in these areas, we enhance our leadership across the board, from vision, values, and strategy, to team building and communication, and can stand out in our business and industry. I'm Yolana Shaw, founder of Awakening Leadership Coaching, Consulting, and Training, and the host of this amazing podcast. So today we're welcoming Leon LaRouche, a Canadian author, Fulbright Program alumnus and writing coach. He helps people who have a message to share, improve their writing skills and master the writing process so they can become the author of their dreams. He's lived, studied and worked in Canada, the US and the UK. Welcome, Leon. It's really great to have you here. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. I was excited to bring you on this show because... Awakening Leadership, we're talking about leadership development through self-awareness, through social and cultural awareness, and through ecological awareness. And I think writing a book is an amazing context and lens on self-awareness. And I also think a lot of leaders have a book inside them that they haven't brought out. So I thought it would be great to pick your brains a bit and hear a bit about that connection between leadership and book writing. Absolutely. So the first thing, I strongly believe that authorship is leadership. And it's partly because most of us write and we can all pull out our laptop, write something, but there is no consequence associated with that. And so I think what I consider to be authorship is when you write something and you decide to really take ownership of it and put it out in the world and face the consequences of that. And whether they're positive or negative. And there's a philosophical essay from, you know, a while back. I think it was 1967. It was the French philosopher Michel Foucault. In his essay, What is an Author? He talks about how like the notion, the modern notion of an author really appears with the birth of the legal system. And so text start having an author when you have a person who can face the consequences, who can be punished, essentially. And so when they engage in subversive discourse, and so to me, that really captures today and, you know, in Western liberal democracies, there isn't really a whole lot of like negative consequences you're going to face. I mean, maybe you can get canceled, but there are so many countries in the world where people express their ideas, they can face serious consequences and punishment. And so for me, the ultimate authorship and that's leadership at its core is taking ownership of these ideas and facing those consequences because when you write a book that is going to be significant there are going to be consequences and it is going to have an impact for many many years to come wow what a powerful lens and really context to put us in just to begin is to remind us of this incredible luxury and liberty that we have in Canada, where you are, in Australia, where I am, of really freedom of speech and mm-hmm. this incredible opportunity to actually share our ideas. Really powerful. So when you're working with someone who is curious about writing a book, but hasn't ever done much more than in terms of writing than, say, 
sending emails or writing reports? Where do you start? Like, how does it work when someone who's in a leadership position and who has a message and wants to, or, you know, I said leadership position, but one thing I firmly believe is that leadership is not just a position. It's actually a process. And so really someone in any position who has that message to share, where do they start? Yeah. So where I start with them is really giving them a framework to put their ideas together. And I find, you know, a lot of people say it's hard to have ideas, but in fact, it's not like that's the easiest thing. What is difficult is to figure out which ideas and who needs to hear those ideas and how do they need to hear these ideas. So one of the things that I try my best to do is to make it as simple as possible so that anybody could understand those frameworks. And though the, f- the first thing I would do with a client is really help them figure out who their target audience is. What is their general area? What is their general topic and what their unique angle to that topic? And the way that I like to talk about it, and I think it's, it's so true when it comes to leadership. I think of writing as a conversation. And I think about it as a dinner party. So if I'm writing, let's say on, I'll just take leadership. So if I'm writing on leadership, well, who's my target audience? They're people in the field of leadership. And so they'd be talking about leadership at a dinner party. Now, what do I have to contribute to that conversation? Because I can't just come late to the dinner party and just crash and start saying things and I don't know what people have said. So maybe I'm just repeating things that's obnoxious. And so when you're writing a book, you want to make sure you familiarize yourself with the community and the community is made of readers and authors. And you want to know what they've said before and where your ideas fit in. And so the next thing that I do with these clients is I give them the tools I help them think about the goal that they're trying to accomplish with that. So what do they want the readers to take away? This way, we kind of reverse engineer the process um, so they can really think about what they're doing as a conversation they're having. And that's the frame for writing at the level of the text itself. Then we do other things. Um, I help them find their voice, and that's more like stylistic. But at a fundamental level... Really, it's just about figuring out how how a text works. So we really look at the architecture of a text and of a book. Beautiful. And what have you seen in terms of when you're working with authors or leaders who are engaging in this process? What is that like for a person personally? Like what is the impact of in terms of self-awareness as we were talking about, in terms of maybe their awareness of the community as they start to deepen their understanding of the conversations already happening in the field if they haven't already like what do you see as some of the obviously the big goal is a book (laughs) but what are some of the other benefits of book writing the first thing really is people find things in themselves that they didn't know were there or they found them differently and the thing is the book you actually need to write is very often different from the book that you think you're going to write. And a lot of my clients, you know, they come with this idea, but then I give them the frameworks and I have them review books that they've read in the past, really like look at them in the new light. And I change the way that they think about writing and about ideas. And then it just kind of 
enlightens them to look at what they're doing from a different perspective. And so oftentimes it just brings things to the surface. So it's very, very powerful. And the other thing is uh, when it comes to their voice, a lot of people, they come in the process and they don't necessarily have the confidence or they don't have the competence, if you will, like they don't think or like I'm they don't think they're a writer. And so what I do, and that's probably my favorite part of it, because writing is just like the language. It's, it's a finite collection of elements and then you put them together and that creates your style. And there's an infinite number of things you can do with it. So I teach them all the elements, how they work, and then they do what they want with it. And so they're like, hey, like I actually have a style, I have a voice, and so I can express myself in a way that's unique. And a lot of it has to do with their personality, you know, are you more formal? Are you more informal? What kind of like linguistic quirks do you have that all speaks to who you are? So they discover a lot of things. And so that's why I really think about writing from a personal development standpoint, because it's a journey for self-discovery. And I always say that if you want to teach people something, you have to be learning. And so they learn about their expertise in order to teach it. Yeah, so interesting. So tell us a little bit, like, how did you come into being a writing coach? How did this happen? Yeah, it's a really good question. So from about age 15, I wanted to be a writer. And so I grew up in the French speaking part of Canada and I became a writer kind of by accident. I just, I was bored out of my mind when I was a teenager. And so I thought, you know, there must be something more. And I started writing. And then as soon as I started writing, I just started thinking like there isn't enough time in a day. But this other thing happened where I started learning English because in, in my, in my hometown, like no one speaks English at all. Like in my whole area, almost no one does. And to me, it was kind of a challenge, something to strive for. And so I decided that's what I was going to devote myself to, like, even if it was like a bit unconscious, because I was in high school when I decided that. And so I stayed obsessed with it until, and I'm still obsessed with it, obviously, but until I was in university. And so I moved to the big city and I enrolled in English speaking university and I took English literature and professional writing. Really, like you look at my transcript, all you see is like English courses. I also found out about the writing center and I don't know if universities in Australia have those. I'm, I'm sure they do, but it's, uh, it's somewhere where students go to get help with their writing, with their writing assignments, their papers, et cetera. And so I thought, well, I want to work there. And it was kind of, I thought like the odds were against me because English isn't my first language, but then it turned out that they were actually in my favor because I understood English perhaps better than native English speakers because I had to learn it the hard way. And so they hired me and I worked there three years and it was just an amazing, amazing experience where I helped people from all disciplines master the writing process. And I had students that really had huge difficulties and, you know, they could just, they could not wrap their head around like how writing works and what makes for like good writing and i i think what really was a game changer i had a student she was in computer science grad student she came and she told me my my supervisor told me to come here because she said my writing's so bad it's disrespectful to the reader 
I thought, well, okay, so let's see. It was really, really difficult for her, but then I found frameworks that made it easy. That was kind of like more like science-y, just kind of like blocks and equations and numbers. And I found that it works really well for a lot of people. And the beauty of that is a lot of people think you have to be like an artist or like you have to have an innate talent to write well. But in the end, it's just, it's maths. You have combinations, you have patterns, you have elements, you just mix and match and you match, you mix them deliberately to have the desired effect. And then you can write compellingly, like it's not rocket science. So I cared a lot about the students at the writing center. And I thought like, I want to have my business and I want to help people improve their writing. So the year after I graduated from university, I went on the Fulbright Fellowship in the U.S. For all this time, for the last years of university and the Fulbright Fellowship, well, I didn't have the time to build that business. But then when COVID hit, I actually had the time and I was in a good place to do that. I decided to go full-time doing this. And that's really where things took off. Wow, what an interesting story. So it sounds like in that process, you discovered a way to translate writing, which often people associate with a creative sort of right brain activity to people who are thinking more operationally or scientifically or mathematically, just how to like chunk down the pieces. Exactly. I approach it like a puzzle. What a lot of people tend to think is it's like you open the puzzle box and you remove the pieces one by one and you try to piece it together like that. It doesn't work like that. You have to take all the pieces out and then look at the picture that you have on the box and then one by one. So you separate all the pieces and you look at them and you pick them and you recreate the picture. And so it's starting from an empty bucket, not a full bucket. And that's what a lot of people, especially people that have a more chaotic mind, they tend to do that. And I also find that it's the way that a lot of teachers teach it. And what I do with my clients is I really, I take them back to basics. It's like, I don't care if you're already a great writer, like I'm still going to take you back to basics to fill every gap that you might have. Because once you have all these gaps filled and all once you know all the notions, you know how to use them consciously. And so what happens really is, there are two aspects to writing. You can do it consciously or unconsciously. And so if I'm writing poetry or like a love letter or whatever, it's going to be like very artistic and it's going to be like my creative brain. But when I'm writing an essay on a, on a serious topic, it's like, I'll really think about, okay, how do I phrase this and use rhetorical devices? And that's just, that's conscious. And I'm using grammar to put it together. Now you have to find the right balance between like the conscious and unconscious, but you want to be able to be conscious before you go into the unconscious stuff, because what ends up happening on this side is you blurp out something and it's just kind of a mess. Or if you just do like too much conscious, it could be robotic or it could be like very cold, but you have to know the rules before you start breaking the rules. Right. Uh, It sounds like one of those situations where they say about a bird needing two wings to fly. And I'm just hearing that to really get that riding, you need that balance of 
being able to use the structure, your logical thinking mind to set it up to be very conscious about it and to also tap into your unconscious creative brain and that flow, the poetic voice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. So give us an example maybe of some of the clients that you've worked with or some of the stories that you've helped to enable to come into the world. Like are we talking fiction, nonfiction, you know, without going into all the details, but some of the topic, what kind of books people have inside them? Absolutely. So one of my clients, he worked as an executive director in a community college. So he was doing curriculum development. He also did, he, he's worked all of his life in uh, people development. So he's a mindset specialist. And so he, when he came to me, um, his idea was to write a book on mindset and on mental models and to teach what he's learned throughout his life. And what's really interesting in this case is that we've ended up working on something that interweaves his personal story and his technical content, but that talks a little more about his story and basically what he wishes he knew 20, 30, 40 years ago. I have another client. She's a financial expert. So she wants to write a book that's going to help, you know, small to medium businesses really master their cash flow. So we're still in the process, in the pre-writing process. And so a lot of the clients overall that I have, they have expertise, but they also have a message. And so they kind of interweave the two of them to show who they are and what they do and kind of like what their gift is to the world. But a lot of them are experts in the fields. A lot of them are business owners. I have another client who's a business consultant. Um, actually, two of them are business consultants. And so it's really about their expertise and who they are. It's both for their personal brand and for their personal development. So growing as writers and authors throughout that process. Beautiful. I mentioned before we started recording, I gave you a pre-warning. So you know that when you come on the Awakening Leadership Podcast, one of the things that I love to do is to challenge each of us as leaders, including my guests, to think about what is it, the decisions that we make today, how are we personally impacting on future generations? And to stretch ourselves to use that concept of seven generations thinking. And that's, you know, that's about 200 years <laughs> into the future. So, I mean, even tomorrow in these times, things seem very uncertain. So the concept of even thinking how we might make a difference 200 years from now can seem even more impossible. And at the same time, I think it's really important to engage with that, to recognize that our impact and our actions today do impact. And often that impact is magnified into the future too. You know, like the little things we do today can actually grow and have a big effect. So I'd love to hear as you are, are doing this work yourself as a writing coach and you're working with leaders, helping them to get their message into the world. Do you think about this impact into future generations beyond your life and what kind of thoughts do you have about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think really when it comes to my impact, that's going to come from not directly my work as a writing coach, but I'm developing this framework and it's, it's in a book that I'm currently writing, but I also apply that framework. I teach it to my clients and my training. And so the way that I think about 
the world and the problems that we're facing right now, especially politically and in, in terms of leadership, we have, I would say the problem boils down to the fact that we have a cluttered way of looking at the world. A lot of the political problems, they come from the fact that we have these ideologies that are prefabricated. So you get a bag full of ideas and you're kind of like handed that bag and you adopt it and you don't really think about what's in it enough to have a productive argument with other people. And so, so I'm currently writing a book that's dealing with the intersection of personal development politics. And I'll make this a long story short, but my journey's been trying to reconcile personal development in politics. And I'd be curious to see if that's something you believe is the case and if that's obvious to you. But I've met a lot of political people and I've met a lot of people that are into personal development. And what I found is that really there's a polarization between people who are looking at everything from the lens of politics and people who only swear by uh, personal responsibility. So on the one side, you have diehard activists, whether on the left or on the right. But in this case, I'm thinking more on the left. And you have people on the other side on personal development. They are not interested in politics at all because they think it's nasty. They just think it's taboo and it's a no-no. And that's a big problem because a lot of these highly intelligent people, these leaders, they're relinquishing their voice and their power to make a positive change in society because they have this tainted view of politics. And on the other side, you have a lot of activists and political people who, in my estimation, aren't taking enough personal responsibility. And so to me, it's about finding that balance. Now, when I look at the world, and that's what I try to get my clients to do when they write in order not to have a cluttered way of the world, you have to think about what constitutes the world in the first place. And the way I think about it is you have these eight layers or these levels, if you will, and you have the individual and there are other elements to it. So like the mind, the body, the soul, then you have the family, then you have the community, then you have the society or your nation, you have the state or the government, you have the civilization, the species, and nature or the unknown. So, for example, like religion and spirituality has to do with the na- nature and the unknown. And for example, like the church you go to would be like your community. So if you can distinguish these elements and, you know, make a hierarchy, like what is the relationship between these elements, then you can have a really healthy political discussion. And then when you become more aware of like why you believe, for example, that the relationship between the state and the individual should be X, then you can argue constructively with other people and you can understand yourself. You can have other people understand yourself. And I think if we looked at politics and if we looked at the world this way and we're very clear about the distinctions between these elements, we would have a much easier time understanding each other. We wouldn't have to yell at each other. And um, we'd be less confused because I can think of a lot of debates that are just, you know, people are at different levels and it's just messy. And so what I'm hoping to contribute, and I know that a lot of things are going to change in the in the next 200 years, but I think if I can contribute to that is going to be in terms of helping other people think and write 
in a less cluttered way, really tracing these distinctions and having more productive conversations around a variety of topics. And so making thoughts and making discourse clearer and more transparent. And I think that'll help us move on in a lot of areas in society. Wow, that's that's quite a big mission and also very powerful and very needed. I really relate to what you say about how ideas are handed down to us and we adopt them often unconsciously. It's a natural process, it's a normal process, but it's that ability to assess all of the information that we've been given and really dig deeper for our own values and come to our own opinions is so important, like how to think for ourselves. It's important and it's challenging. Like I think of myself as someone who does that and I'm at the same time really aware that that process of doing that means constantly questioning assumptions that I've taken on since childhood or assumptions that I still take on because of the country I'm in, because of the culture that I'm a part of, because of my ancestry, my history. You know, there's all kinds of influences that shape our thinking. So firstly, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And then the other thing uh, that you've kind of pointed to about this split between the political and the personal development, and it's also something that I'm definitely interested in and have become active in. When I came into this area of leadership coaching, I thought at first that it was going to be something separate to my life as an activist or even in personal development. Like I sort of thought, oh, this is a new phase of my career. And what I soon really discovered is that for me, it's impossible to separate the three. Like leadership has to incorporate self-awareness and self-development. If you're a self-aware leader in 2020 or beyond, you can't not be thinking about the social impacts of your leadership and you can't not be thinking about the environmental impacts of your leadership. So there is no, for me, separation between self-awareness and or personal development and political activism. And exactly as you said, to navigate that intersection between them, what it takes is it takes time of thinking for ourselves and it takes the time of being able to listen to and assess different arguments but also to have that self-awareness of of our own biases and what we're going to bring and our defensiveness and how that's all going to show up. So huge, huge area and I'm really excited that you're digging into it. I'm excited for the world for your book. I completely agree with what you just said, because I think the mistake that we're making as a society, and I said, I know a lot of people in personal development, they don't want to talk about politics, but I think the mistake we're making is not tracing the difference between party politics, which I agree is nasty, and political thought. Political thought is neutral. I think of individuals as going through three levels. There's a level where I don't know, let's say like in your teens or your 20s when you're, and some people stay in that stage their whole life, unfortunately, but it's the state of survival. When you haven't done that work of personal development, once you've done your personal development, you're going to level two. But then a lot of people, because they think of politics as nasty, they never go to that third level where they allow themselves to think politically. 
And so the way that I think about it is you can be and being is just living your life and asking yourself questions about how do I conduct myself in the world? And that's great. That's what we all need to do. But then you can take it to another level, which is being political and is actually having thoughts and expressing those thoughts about how we should be conducting ourselves as a society and how should we manage the collective resources. And it shouldn't be controversial if we just looked at the world as these different elements that have relationships together and we made logical arguments about those. But again, like I said, the problem is we tend to think about it as just party politics. And I agree that party politics is nasty because it's power. People want to get power, so they'll do what it takes to get it. But at the end of the day, it's, we can have our political impact in other ways. Like in the draft of the book that I'm writing, I'm saying you can be political and you don't even have to go vote next election. Like it doesn't matter. You just have to think politically and it's like it shouldn't be controversial. If you actually take the time to reflect and talk to people and be self-aware about where your beliefs come from, because I can guarantee you, like even the people, they say they don't have politics, like they still do. They're just not thinking about it because the way that you run your life is similar to the way you would think the government and like the society should be run. So it's like they're not fully separable. Exactly. And, um, and what you said, for example, about the environment, it's we all have our thoughts about, for example, like, do we believe that climate change is a threat to our civilization? And what should we do about that? And what's the relationship between our civilization and like individuals and communities? So these are all things that you need to think about. And I think it's a bummer when people don't allow themselves to do that because they think that politics is nasty. And so my goal with that book that I'm writing and when talking to people is leading them to the realization that politics doesn't have to be nasty. And so if everybody thought about politics in that healthy way, then we'd have a lot less problems. First of all, probably like the turnout rates for elections would be higher. And so elections would be much more representative of people. And I do want to acknowledge that it's not necessarily for everyone, what I'm saying, because there really are people that are struggling in their lives. And so expecting that they would think about politics and really partake in that would be kind of not fair. But I think once we've done that work of personal development and once we've reached that level, then it's also our duty to get to that other level of thinking politically and, you know, engaging around these issues. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who have a natural leadership calling do naturally think beyond themselves. Leadership such a calling to service, to thinking of the bigger picture, to making a difference. So I think that's often there in uh, people who feel called to leadership. So it's so interesting. I feel like we started out talking about writing books and we ended up talking about your book which opens this whole other story we could have just done that in two separate uh <laughs> podcasts uh, interviews i think but we squished it all into one it's been really amazing to hear both about the incredible depth and care and really it sounds like such an exquisite process that mm -hmm. you bring to supporting writers to emerge their work a very deep thoughtful comprehensive process sounds amazing and, and they're separable the thinking and the leadership that i'm talking about you know it's applicable in book writing and that's what makes for great books where people have really thought through the ideas and located them in the world 
and taking responsibility for them as well. So they kind uh-huh. of go together. We've exactly. I see. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Linking it but all back. I hear. I hear. Writing is just yeah. formalized thinking, and if it weren't for writing, I never would have come up with that framework, and I wouldn't be having that conversation. It's it's all happened because of writing. Yeah. Amazing. Really beautiful. You've given us so many gems of wisdom, Leon. But is there anything, any final words that you would like to leave our listeners with? I would just say that I often say that no one is born a great writer and that everyone can become one. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily fond of writing because they find it challenging, but I would say it's really something that you can't avoid. You have to do it in any case. And I think the more you do it, the more you come to enjoy it. And you also learn to think more clearly and to think better as you write. And so writing is formalized thinking and it allows you to prioritize and frame all these thoughts you have. And so that's just something I would really encourage everyone to do more of and to really take writing seriously and uh, polish the writing because that's essentially polishing your thoughts. So I think it's a huge part of the personal development journey and it's a huge part of the leadership journey as well. I, you know, a lot of the great leaders, they are often great writers. They often have books. Um, you know, I'm thinking of people in leadership like John C. Maxwell. He have I don't know how many books. People like Brendan Bouchard, he's just an amazing writer. His book, Motivation Manifesto, just beautifully written. So yeah, polishing your writing is polishing your thoughts. So I think that's just something that is incredibly useful as a leader and as an individual. Fantastic. Thank you. So if folks want to find you, they can visit stellarwriting.co to learn more about your writing coaching services. And they can also book a call with you to discuss their writing project. And you also have the Word Leader podcast, which is at wordleaderpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Yes. Leon, it's been so amazing to have you here at Awakening Leadership Podcast. Really a lot of valuable information. And as I said, I look forward to your book, the books of your clients that come from this great process you're sharing. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Awakening Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Yolana Shaw. If you'd like to share your thoughts, comments, or suggestions about the show, I'd love to hear from you, and it's easy to do. Visit www.awakening-leadership.com forward slash podcast to view the show notes or send me a message. Finally, if you enjoyed this conversation, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to review and subscribe so more people can find out about it and we can build this amazing leadership community. Till next time.